Well, good morning once again, everybody. And uh, <clears throat> I want to uh, begin this morning by saying, spoiler alert, <laughs> actually not all that spoiling since Christmas is now, uh, we're about a, a month removed from it, from Christmas Day, but all those manger scenes, all those nativity scenes that you saw during the Christmas season that included the wise men, that included the magi, were all wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. They were all wrong, totally wrong. Jesus was not an infant when the wise men arrived in Bethlehem to see him. We know that because when Herod sent his soldiers to try to kill Jesus, that's why he said to them, kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem that are two years old and under. Now, obviously Herod was a very evil man. That's a whole other story. But the point is this. Between that event that took place and the time that Jesus began his earthly ministry at the age of about 30 years old, the Bible is completely silent, completely silent, except for one story, and that's the story we're looking at today in the Gospel of Luke in the second chapter. Now, now there, there are some stories about Jesus' childhood that are out there and other liter kinds of literature that are not included in the Bible, and they are not in the Bible for very good reasons. Because anybody, anybody that, that reads those stories, and they are so outlandish, they are so crazy, uh, that it's quite obvious that none of those are inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so that's the very reason why they were not included in the Bible. I, they're, they're just a bunch of hooey. That's my scholarly term for them. <laughs> But again, this story in Luke chapter 2 is the only one, the only legitimate one that takes place during those years that Jesus was growing up in Nazareth. Now, I, nobody can really tell you, tell us why there aren't more stories of Jesus' childhood included in the Gospels, but I'm about to. <laughs> because we preachers know a whole lot more than them highfalutin Bible scholars out there. <laughs> No, 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 no. This, this is just my personal guess as to why Luke's story is the only one. I think it might be because outside of this one event that we're going to read, Jesus' childhood, Jesus' growing up years in Nazareth were very unremarkable. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that he was unremarkable. I'm saying that his childhood was just a normal, unremarkable childhood. And, and the Bible actually gives us some, some big clues as to that, which leads me to this assumption about, about that. And that's found in another story early on in the, in the public ministry of Jesus, when Jesus returns to his hometown of, Na of Nazareth, where he is rejected. I mean, vehemently rejected. In fact, Luke tells us that they actually tried to kill Jesus when he went to Nazareth. Now, they had heard about all these miracles that he had been performing, that, had been, that he'd been doing uh, in, in other towns nearby, it, and even, he even taught while he was in Nazareth, but they just refused to believe. Uh, now, 
Apparently, again, there had been nothing about Jesus growing up years in Nazareth that would have caused any of his homies, if you will, to say something like, well, we always knew that he was going to be something. We, we, we saw that boy growing up, and we knew he was really something special. To the contrary, Matthew tells us when, in Matthew's story of, of when Jesus comes back to Nazareth, the people say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Again, in their minds, they can't think of anything that was remarkable about Jesus when he was growing up in Nazareth. And so this story in Luke 2 I think actually tell why those silent years, as they're called, were so unremarkable. Okay, hey, guys, if you would put that picture up at this point. Anybody remember this? <laughs> Anybody recognize that picture? <laughs> that picture comes from what is my, uh, one of my grandson's favorite Christmas movie, Home Alone. <laughs> you remember the story probably. It's, uh, this is a little eight-year-old Kevin, and, and, uh, and Kevin wakes up one morning to discover that his family has left him home alone while they've all flown off to Paris for the Christmas holidays, mistakenly leaving him at home alone. In fact, that look you see on his face is pretty similar to the look on his mom's face when halfway across the Atlantic, o Atlantic Ocean, she realizes that they have indeed left Kevin behind. Well, I'm embarrassed to tell you... <laughs> that we once left our firstborn daughter behind when she was 20 years old. I'm twice or 20 years old. <laughs> when she was 20 days old. 20 days old. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was Easter Sunday. This is her first day at church. That was back before, you know, the pediatricians all told you, you know, don't take them into the church nursery, you know, until they're... 10 years old, you know, no, no. Um, uh, so 20 days old, we, we took her to church for the very first time. Julia actually remembers the, the pretty little blue dress that she was dressed in on that Sunday morning. And, and folks, I, I have no idea what we were thinking. Again, big day, Easter Sunday. But after church, Julia and I got in the car. We started heading home, totally, totally forgetting we had a brand new baby in the church nursery. And we got almost halfway home before we realized we left Katie at church. <laughs> now, it, it wasn't as though, it, you know, we left her in a strange place with strange people and that she was, you know, was not going to be taken care of and that sort of thing. But I can assure you that I broke, I significantly broke the speed limit on the drive back to the church at that point to get her. So how many of you parents have ever left a child behind somewhere and you can still remember that moment of panic that you had in your heart when you realized it, right? I'm encouraged to see those hands out there. Thank you very much. Well, you'll understand why I'm asking that question as we begin reading this story. Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, which was about a seven-day period, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. 
but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, what do you think Mary and Joseph felt like when they discovered they'd left Jesus behind? Now, let's, I want us to be careful not to misunderstand them. Mary and Joseph were good parents. I mean, they clearly loved God. They faithfully observed the traditions of their faith, again, including this feast of Passover. And I also have to say, we, we can learn something as moms and dads from Mary and Joseph, very much so. In fact, if you're a parent, mom, dad, think about this. What are you communicating to your children when you stop each week and take them to be with God's people and worship at church? What are you communicating to them? I mean, when, when they see a mom and a dad who are smart, active, busy people who have lots of other things that they can do with their time, take the time, commit the time to take the family to worship God together in the fellowship of other believers, you are communicating to them how important it is, first of all, to be in fellowship with other believers, but most of all, that God is first in your life, that God is most important in your life. Well, as we just read, this event happens when Jesus was 12 years old. Now, that was a very significant year in the life of a Jewish boy because when that boy turned 13, he was considered to be a man at that point, a man in the sense that he would enter then into full economic and social adult responsibilities at that point. And therefore, his 12th year was a year of big-time mentoring taking place between he and his father. So in Jesus' case, Joseph would have apprenticed his son in the family business, which, again, in Jesus' case was what? Carpentry and carpentry. And, but also, the father would teach the boy about life in general. And for Jesus' family, again, a huge part of that was their religion, which was Judaism. And one of the major features of Judaism was participation in this Passover feast. During Passover, I mean, people came from all over the country. The city of Jerusalem was swelled to like eight to ten times its normal size of population. Eight to ten times. Well, during Passover, again, during this special 12th year for Jesus, Joseph would have been very, very intentional, very intense with all of that mentoring process while on this trip. I mean, he would have been thinking to himself, well, you know, the clock is ticking, the clock is running. i got to get this done. i got to get this right. Well, lest anybody wonder if Mary and Joseph were irresponsible parents for taking so long to discover that Jesus was not with them, we have to remember that the society in which they lived was much, much different from ours today. Much different. I mean, they lived in what you might call a communal society. And so when they went up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover from Nazareth, they did not go by themselves. They would have been a company, it would have been a a huge caravan of all kinds of relatives and friends. In fact, Luke even mentions those friends uh, friends and relatives at the end of verse 44. And so it would have been very natural for Mary and Joseph just to assume that Jesus was somewhere in the midst of the caravan coming along with them, just playing around with with other relatives and friends, whatever the the case might be. So verse 45. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, 
Now, a day going out, a day coming back in, and then a day looking around Jerusalem is probably what Luke means here. They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now, now notice Mary's first emotion here. The first emotion that they felt was uh, upon finding their 12-year-old Jesus. I mean, sitting there mixing it up with these, these lawyers, these, these theologicals, these theologians having these discussions with these seasoned teachers uh, is the same emotion those teachers felt, which was amazement and astonishment. But then that emotion was quickly overcome, overtaken by their parental irritation. Any parent here not know what that is? <laughs> right? Now, we don't know what level of panic Mary and Joseph may have had at this point, but their anxiety level by this time was definitely raised. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now, you have to wonder, where had they searched for 12-year-old Jesus? I mean, had they gone into carpenter shops? Had they walked through the bazaars looking for him? Had they you know, tried to find out where the you know, typical 12-year-olds you know, might hang out? Where had they looked for him? But Jesus is not a typical 12-year-old. And it's also not like he was four or five years old and he got separated from the group, lost in the city, and just happened to wander into the temple. He has intentionally, intentionally gone to the temple. He knew exactly what he was doing. So, this is a rebuke from his mother. This is a rebuke from Mary. In essence, what she is expressing here is that this is the year Jesus is supposed to be explicitly honoring Joseph, honoring his father, his mentor on this trip. In essence, what Jesus is saying, what Mary is saying is like, how dare you dishonor your father and of all times now? Well, look at Jesus' reply in verse 49. Why were you searching for me? And I, you know, maybe he meant, why were you searching for me in all those other places? <laughs> Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, when I use the term Sunday school answer, you know what I mean by that? But let me illustrate. Second grade boys Sunday school class, teacher one morning asked the question, boys, what's brown, has a long furry tail, Lives in trees and stores up nuts for the winter. Absolute quiet in the class. Finally, one little boy raises his hand and sheepishly speaks out. I'm going to say Jesus, but it, sure, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> That's the Sunday school answer. And I, and, and I remember... When I first heard this story growing up in church, and I saw what Jesus said to Mary at this point, I remember thinking, 
didn't dare say it out loud, but I remember thinking, whoa, it sounds like Jesus is talking back to his mama. (laughs) But I also thought, that couldn't be right. This is Jesus. Luke tells us in verse 50, but they, Mary and Joseph, did not understand what he was saying to them. Yet at the end of the very next verse, we'll come back to this again here in a few minutes, but Luke writes, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now, I take that to mean that she may not have understood it at the time, but she did later. In fact, actually, Bible scholars tell us that she is probably the one who told Luke this story. Okay. Big question. Big question. At what point did Jesus come to realize, as he was growing up, at what point did Jesus come to realize and understand who he really was? When did he become aware? I think the answer is right here. Right here in Jesus' 12th year during this trip to Jerusalem and the temple to celebrate the feast of Passover. And you remember what Passover was about? You remember that? You read about it first in the book of Exodus, which is the, the Old Testament book of Exodus, which is the story of the Exodus of the Israelites out of their 430 years of slavery. And, and, and as God was about to bring the 10th and final plague upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the one that finally forced Pharaoh to let them go, which was the death of all the firstborn, God instructed the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb a lamb that they would roast and eat for their meal on that final night. But before they did that, to take some blood of that lamb and to paint it on their doorpost, on the doorpost of their homes. And for every home that had that blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their homes, they would be passed over. No death would take place in the homes of those covered by the blood of the lamb. So again, remember, Joseph would have been intensely mentoring Jesus on this trip, intensely. I mean, I mean, instructing him not only about carpentry, you know, probably they, they, as they pass something being constructed or they, they pass a shop, you know, not only things about carpentry, but about the importance of being a faithful Jew, the importance of going to the temple, the meaning of the sacrifices and especially diving into all that Passover symbolized for the Jewish people. However, it seems as though on this trip, there was some other mentoring that was taking place. One commentator describes it like this. What if Jesus' real father was mentoring him too? What if his real father was also walking around Jerusalem and going about a million levels deeper with Jesus? Then when Jesus went to the temple, his real father said, you are the new temple. You are going to make this place obsolete. 
And also walking along the streets of Jerusalem, the real father said to Jesus, there will come a day. There will come a day when you'll be walking these streets carrying a cross. And when Jesus sat down at the Passover meal and he looked at the lamb, his real father said, you are going to be the lamb. As we'll see in the story next week, the words of John the baptizer as Jesus came to him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is why Jesus now says, I had to be in my Father's house. Now, don't pass that over. At that time, no one, no one would have ever referred to God as Father. I mean, even the most pious of Jews, the only time that you would ever read that when God was referred to as Father in the Hebrew Scriptures, which were the only ones they had at that point, obviously, was when they occasionally referred to God as the Father of the Jewish nation, as the Father, the source of the Jewish nation. But never, ever, ever was God referred to as a Father on a personal basis. That was considered to be a far too intimate way to refer to Almighty God. And so for Mary and Joseph to suddenly hear their 12-year-old Jesus refer to God as his father, claiming that kind of personal relationship with God, again, was something no one had ever claimed before. Again, Jesus is now aware of his unique sonship to God as his father. And he knows that his sonship to God, his father, transcends or takes precedent over all other family ties. See, the mission that God the Father has for him is going to require that kind of single-minded devotion to God's purposes. And what seems to be happening now is that he's sensing that he has to follow that calling even if it brings pain and misunderstanding upon those who are closest to him on this earth, which will indeed happen with all his family in the years to follow after Jesus begins his public ministry. I mean, it's an incredible moment, an incredible moment. In his 12th year, mentored now by the real father who has given him this messianic awareness, this understanding of who he really is. But rather than just walk out of the temple at this point and begin his public ministry, which he, I know that sounds weird to us, but he, he could have done that. I mean, again, at 13, he, he's considered a man in that culture. He could have done that, but rather than walk out and begin his public ministry, Jesus intentionally waits another 18 years. Luke tells us in verse 51, first part, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. (laughs) I mean, you're thinking, you know, they should have been obedient to him. But no, he was obedient to them. I mean, think about that. I mean, Jesus has just observed the Passover, but now he realizes that he is the real Passover lamb. 
He has just mixed it up in the temple with his fellow Jews who are coming day after day to present sacrifices for the atonement of their sins, and yet he knows that he is going to be the once-for-all final offering for their sin. He's been sitting there with teachers of the law, the law which he came to fulfill. And yet Jesus, left there with Mary and Joseph, went home to Nazareth and submitted to them in obedience. Why? Why? Why do you think he did that? The answer is really simple, but so profound. He went home. To humbly serve and love his parents. So simple. So profound. He went home to humbly love and serve his parents. That's all that was happening during those silent years. That's what was going on. Humbly loving and serving his parents. He loved and served them until the day finally came 18 years later. At the point his cousin, John the baptizer, had sufficiently prepared the way for him to begin his public ministry. And when that day came, Jesus left his home in Nazareth, went to John, first to John to be baptized by John, and that was the beginning of his public ministry. That amazing description of Jesus found in Philippians chapter 2. He made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus' actions, even as a 12-year-old, have tremendous implications for us. Because this same Jesus, who refused to abandon his mother and father, also refuses to abandon you and me. The same Jesus who chose voluntarily to love and serve his parents is the same Jesus who is committed to love and serve you. So let's all do what Luke says that Mary did when she, with what she saw and heard that day. Second half of verse 51, once again. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Deep, deep down in her heart, she let it sink in. All of which was going to serve her so very well in the years to come especially on that day when she would have to watch her son hanging upon that cross, paying the penalty and securing our forgiveness of our sin. Luke's final words about Jesus' silent years is simply this statement in verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom, that is, he grew mentally, in stature, that is, he grew physically, 
and in favor with God, that is, he grew spiritually and with man. He grew socially. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we, th- we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the way that you can speak to us so often in what just seems like some of the most inane things, the most simple things. We thank you, Lord, for speaking powerfully to us today through this passage. We thank you that we know, based upon your word to us, that whether we understand the circumstances we find ourselves in at times, or like Mary and Joseph, we don't understand, that we can be assured that you never abandon us. We thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love and serve us even today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.